This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Lindsay Hamilton and Jim Orr as we look back at the life and times of one of Scotland's best-known managers and all-round characters, Ali McLeod. Before we get started, we have this week's trivia question for you. Who scored the vital goal for Scotland against Wales in 1985 at Ninian Park in the 1-1 draw that took Scotland to the 1986 World Cup in Mexico? We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. It's May 1960, and in England, the final of the FA Cup has rolled around once again. The English game's showpiece occasion attracts a crowd not too far off 100,000, as Blackburn Rovers take on Wolverhampton Wanderers. Wolves may have been the favourites to win the cup, having only just missed out on the league title to Burnley by one point, but Blackburn had beaten strong sides in Burnley, Tottenham Hotspur and Sheffield Wednesday to reach the final, and had won six FA Cups to Wolves three at this point. The 7th of May 1960 was a particularly hot day, and most spectators in their Sunday best for the final had to take their jackets off, leading to Kenneth Wollstoneholm describing the game as the white shirt final due to swathes of spectators in white shirts on the terraces. The game kicked off at 3pm and Wolves took control of the game as the half progressed. Both sides played a very tight offside trap which was effective in controlling the other's attacks and with four minutes until half time, Blackburn's Mick McGrath put the ball into his own net to give Wolves the advantage. More bad fortune came Blackburn's way two minutes afterwards when Dave Whelan had his leg broken in a challenge with Norman Daly. In the days before substitutes, it meant that Blackburn would have to play the second half with 10 men. Wolves came out after the break and looked to continue where they left off in the first half. With 10 men, there was only so much Blackburn could do to try and get a foothold back in the match. Norman Daly added a second goal for Wolves in the 67th minute and he finished off the route with an 88th minute winner. At full time, it was Blackburn Rovers 0, Wolverhampton Wanderers 3 and Wolves captain Bill Slater took his side up the famous Wembley steps to receive the cup. Watching on from the pitch was Blackburn's number 11, Ali McLeod. Despite the scoreline and his side's poor luck throughout the game, McLeod's performance was described as magnificent by the Guardian, with a man of the match showing that deserved a medal even if his team's performance had not merited one. The Scot from the south side of Glasgow had missed out on silverware and was determined not to lose out again in the future after this experience. This is the story of Ali McLeod, the man who described himself as a winner. Alistair Reid McLeod was born in the south side of Glasgow on 26th of February 1931 into a football daft family. Ali's father played amateur football as a goalkeeper and remarkably managed to still play despite having a leg amputated. Ali also had two uncles who played professional football, so it was no surprise to anyone that young Ali harboured aspirations of playing football too. 
If ever motivation was required to make it in the game, all Ali had to do was look to the example of his dad. As Ali said, my father lost his leg and played in goals for his team. That was my driving force. When the McLeods lived in Clydebank for a short while, they moved back to the south side, close to both Cathkin Park and Hamden Park, after the house was bombed in the Clydebank Blitz. Ali showed enough promise as a left-sided winger to sign provisionally for Third Lanark in 1947. Agreeing professional terms in 1949, he made his debut for the High High on the 6th of November of that year in a home match against Stirling Albion. At this time, Thirds were a lower mid-table team, but were one division above their local rivals Queen's Park. Stirling Albion won the match 4-2, and while Ali might not have set the heather alight in his own words during his debut, the main stand at Cathkin caught fire at the end of the game. The players had to rush in to get their change of clothes, as four fire engines did their best to put the fire out. Ali had a distinctive running style, as he made swift dashes along the wing, which earned him the nickname of Noddy. While not being a regular name on the score sheet, Ali did occasionally chip in with goals to help his teammates out. One notable example of this came in 1953, when Third Lanark played Allo Athletic in the League Cup, and with Thirds leading 8-0, the whole team did their best to get Ali a rare goal after he set up five himself. Despite missing several sitters, he was able to get two goals to make the score 10-0 to the high-high at the end of the game. In his six seasons as a professional with Third Lanark, Ali scored 17 goals in 112 appearances and won the Glasgow Charity Cup, before moving to St Mirren in 1956. Despite not being overly keen on a move to Paisley, St Mirren were prepared to offer £8,000 for his signature, roughly £205,000 in today's money, and the Third Lanark board assured him that such a fee would go a long way to help ensure the survival of the club. As it was, Ali wouldn't be staying at Love Street for a great deal of time, as Blackburn Rovers were interested in signing him. An English second division side at the time, Rovers were managed by fellow Scott Daly Duncan and had their eyes on the return to the first division. This was achieved in 1958, and while they cemented themselves in mid-table on the return to the first division, they did reach the FA Cup final in 1960, where they lost 3-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers. In the late 50s and early 60s, there was a maximum wage of £20 per week imposed on footballers by the Football League. The PFA, led by Jimmy Hill, campaigned against this, and Ali was a key player in speaking out on behalf of the players to abolish this rule. The rule was abolished in January 1961, and Johnny Hayes of Fulham became the first £100 per week player, roughly £2,300 in today's money. Following the abolition of the maximum wage, several Blackburn players were offered a higher wage of £25 per week, up from £20 per week. Ali was not one of these players, and when Hibernian were interested in signing him and offering him the £25 per week, he accepted their offer. Blackburn did offer him the same terms as Hibbs when they learned of his plans to leave, but Ali felt that, having given Hibbs his word, he couldn't go back in that, and so he moved back north in 1961. At this time, Hibbs' well-known Famous Five team had been broken up by manager Hugh Shaw, and Ali would join a squad that, despite being past its best, was still capable of achieving finishes near the top of the table and competing in Europe. Hugh Shaw was replaced in November 1961 by Walter Galbraith, 
and Ali would make 52 appearances in green and white, soaring six times. A return to third Lanark followed in 1963, by which point the club's infamous chairman, Bill Hiddleston, was well on his way to running the club into the ground in an attempt to sell off Cathkin Park for housing. After avoiding relegation to the second division, finishing 16th out of 18 teams in the league, Ali then moved to Air United, where he spent his final year as a player. When Ali joined Air United in 1964, they were a second division side who had enjoyed occasional forays into the top flight of Scottish football, but had won no major honours and lived in the shadow of their county neighbours Kilmarnock. Ali was made the team captain, and in a 3-0 victory over Dumbarton in September 1964, his skill was apparent to see, with a newspaper report saying, McLeod is a crowd delighter. His Tanner dribbles draw cheers from the crowd and he is also perhaps the most constructive halfback in the second division. In this, his final season as a player, Ali played 17 games but was more useful to the club as a coach. Ali was unfortunate in that he had joined the Honest Men in arguably their worst ever season. Ayr finished bottom of the second division and had to apply for re-election. All this while their rivals Kilmarnock finished as champions of Scotland. Ayr did manage to get some consolation by winning the Ayrshire Cup at Rugby Park, but things would have to change at Somerset Park, and fast. Retiring from playing in the summer of 1965, Ali stayed on at Ayr as a coach and was appointed as the club's manager in 1966. Having been promoted to the first division as champions in 1965-66 under Tom McCreath, Ali was unable to keep the club up in his first season in management with relegation coming in 1967. The club had not been prepared for the demands of the first division, but Ali was confident the club could bounce back and stay up if they got back up. A fifth place finish in the second division followed, before an exciting battle with Motherwell the following year for promotion. While Motherwell won the league by 11 points, Ali guided Ayr to second place and promotion. The start of the 1969-70 season saw Ayr embark on an excellent run in the League Cup after topping their group before seeing off Dumbarton in the quarter-finals. Ayr then faced a tough test in the semi-finals against Celtic and managed to force a replay after drawing 3-3 in the initial tie. While Celtic went through to the final after a 2-1 win, Ali's team had shown they had ambitions of going all the way to the top, even with part-time players. In the early stages of his managerial career at Ayr, Ali too was part-time and had a career in sales with Rio Tinto Zinc. The next couple of seasons established Ayr as a first division side, with 1970-71 seeing them finish just two points behind rivals Kilmarnock. The two sides were even harder to separate the following year, with Kelly and Ayr equal on 28 points in the league and Kelly only ahead by three goals on goal difference. The downward spiral that Kelly were experiencing after their 60s peak came at the same time as Ayr's rise, and this saw the honest men overtake their rivals as Ayrshire's top team the following season. 
1972-73 was to be a vintage season for Air United, with a 6th place finish in the league and an excellent run in the Scottish Cup that saw them defeat Inverness Thistle, Stirling Albion and Partick Thistle to set up a semi-final encounter with Rangers. Despite Air losing 2-0, it was clear that the team had become a force to be reckoned with. That season saw Air miss out on European football by one point as they achieved their highest league position since 1919. Ali was awarded Air Citizen of the Year in 1973 for his efforts. Often managers will want to make their team's home ground a hard place to come to, and Ali certainly did in the calendar year of 1973. In that year, only the old firm were able to come away from Somerset Park with wins. Ali's team really was the real deal. Even when defeats did come, Ali's optimism was unshakable. Duncan Carmichael wrote in his book, Aid United Football Club, 100 Greats, that if Air were beaten in a match in October, for example, Ali would claim that October had never been a great month for results and that November was a better month for his team getting victories. The mid-70s saw big changes to the Scottish League, with a new 10-team Premier Division being created in 1975. Finishing 7th in the final season of the old First Division, Ayr had secured their place at the top table of Scottish football and had no intention to let that place slip. As time went on though, Ali McLeod's excellent work at Ayr United had gained him admirers from further afield. Following Eddie Turnbull's departure from Pataudry in 1971, Aberdeen had challenged for trophies under the reign of Jimmy Bonthrone but had nothing to show for their efforts bar a solitary Drybrook Cup. Following Air United's 3-0 defeat of Rangers in October 1975, Ali's stock had never been higher, and in November 1975, Aberdeen were able to prize him away from Somerset Park to Bataudry. He was allowed to take charge of Air for one final game in the Ayrshire Cup at Rugby Park, where Air won 3-0 against Kilmarnock. Arriving in Aberdeen, Ali found himself in charge of a squad of good, yet underperforming players. Aid United had been above Aberdeen in November 1975 when Ali left Somerset Park, and when the season finished in May 1976, that was still the case. Air finished in 6th place, one point ahead of Ali's Aberdeen in 7th. Had it not been for the Don's superior goal difference, they could have been relegated. Aberdeen and Dundee United stayed up, while Dundee and St Johnston were relegated to the First Division on the last day of the season. Since the surprise Scottish Cup win in 1970, the Dons had gained a reputation as a bridesmaid at Cup Finals. In the last 20 years prior to 1976, Aberdeen had only won two trophies. Having reached semi-finals of both Cups in his time at Ayr, Ali was determined to go one further and in the League Cup in 1976, he did just that. Aberdeen topped the group that contained Ayr United, Kilmarnock and St Mirren before seeing off Stirling Albion in the quarter-finals and thrashing Rangers 5-1 in the semi-finals. Michael Grant of the Times noted, 
When Aberdeen routed Rangers 5-1, it was such a shock that even their own players struggled to comprehend what they had done. They stopped off at the studios of Scottish Television to watch the game again before getting back on the bus for the long drive home. Having dispatched one side of the old firm, to lift the cup the Dons would have to beat Jockstein's Celtic. On the 6th of November 1976, the two sides lined up and despite their heavy margin of victory over Rangers, few outside the Granite City believed that Ali McLeod's team were capable of an upset. When Kenny Dalgleish was filled clumsily by Drew Jarvie in the Aberdeen box and scored from the subsequent penalty, it looked like Aberdeen were sticking to the script of coming up short at the final hurdle. Not if McLeod had anything to do with it though. An Arthur Graham cross went into the box for Joe Harper to head towards Drew Jarvie who headed right past the helpless Peter Latchford in the Celtic goal. Having equalised, the Dons took the game to extra time. Aberdeen took their chance when it came, as Arthur Graham sclaffed a shot that found its way to the super sub Davy Robb, who made no mistake to win the cup for the Dons. When John Wright Patterson blew for full time, the first man to run onto the pitch in jubilation was none other than Ali McLeod. In just over a year, he had upset the odds to bring silverware back to Batondry and the foundations of a great team that would go on to dominate Scottish football for much of the 1980s had been laid. Early in 1977, Newcastle United noticed Ali's success and wanted to make him their manager, but he declined. If Ali had been popular in air with supporters of the Honest Men, he was every bit as popular with Don's fans. When asked to appear in an advertising stunt in Aberdeen City Centre, he immediately said yes because he would get to meet the fans and speak to them, much like he did at supporters clubs. The £50 fee from the advert went into the kitty for the players' end of season night out. Hugh Taylor described Ali's enthusiastic nature when he said, That's Ali. Never at a loss for a word. A super enthusiast. An optimist. An extrovert. A passionate supporter of his own club. And despite unfounded allegations that he's Scotland's Brian Clough, he is one of the most likeable men in football. When the SFA had had enough of Willie Ormond in April 1977, they at first turned to Jockstein, who was happy enough to stay at Parkhead at that time. The association then turned their attention to prizing Alan McLeod away from Pataudry. Given his confident exterior and tendency to talk his team's ability up no end, Privately, he had doubts about whether this was too big a move, coming too soon for him. However, he felt that the opportunity to manage Scotland might never come around again, and before the end of the 1976-77 season, he had become the manager of Scotland. Scotland lifted the home international championship after famously defeating England 2-1 at Wembley and successfully qualified for the World Cup in Argentina in 1978 by beating Wales 2-0 at Anfield. Wales were banned from hosting the game in Cardiff due to crowd trouble in a previous match and rather than go to Wrexham, they hired Anfield. This proved to be a costly mistake, as of the 51,000 or so in Liverpool's famous old stadium that night, the vast majority were Scotland fans. 
A contentious penalty awarded for handball was scored by Don Mason and a Kenny Douglas header secured Scotland's passage to South America and Alan McLeod's stock was at its highest ever point. As Scotland geared up for Argentina, Ali had the country whipped into a frenzy. In the run-up to the tournament, he had the country believing that anything other than returning with the trophy itself would be a failure. Looking back, it's easy to pour scorn in these remarks, but as Michael Grant says here, that was far from the case at the time. There was no ridicule of Ali and his bombastic declarations. The country hung on his every word. When he decided it would be a good idea for supporters to come to Hamden and give the squad a send-off to the airport, more than 30,000 people turned up. McLeod had mobilised a big football crowd in a big football stadium just to look at players standing on an open-top bus. In Scotland, leading up to the tournament, you couldn't escape the excitement for the upcoming World Cup. Joe Jordan advertised Heineken with his front teeth magically reappearing after taking a drink from a pint of the lager. Other members of the squad advertised cars. Ali got in in the act himself, dressing up as a Mexican bandit to advertise carpets. Even with all the bravado, there were doubts about Ali's management style, in particular his preparation. Jockstein was worried that McLeod could potentially be showing up against the top side of the world, given some mixed results away from the 1977 Home Internationals win, and even the eternal optimist himself was starting to have slight doubts. Before leaving, Scotland's manager told his wife Faye, I'll either come back a hero or a villain. Despite all the bravado and the extra focus on Scotland, given England's failure to qualify, Scotland lost their opening game 3-1 against the unknown quantity of Peru, and could only draw 1-1 against Iran. Ali's head was in his hands as he, along with the rest of the nation, could barely believe what they were seeing. Despite being booed off the park against Iran and being vilified by the Scottish press, Scotland amazingly could still have qualified if they could beat the Netherlands by three clear goals. When Archie Gamble scored his famous goal, that went down in Scottish football history, to make it 3-1 to Scotland, redemption looked like it might be just around the corner. Unfortunately, it was more like a dead end, as within minutes Johnny Rep had scored another for the Dutch. Scotland had won 3-2, but it felt like a bitter defeat, given the nature of the build-up to the tournament. Arriving home in ignominy, Ali survived an immediate inquest by the association, but resigned after a 3-2 defeat to Austria in September 1978. The road to redemption for Ali began in a very familiar place, back in the dugout at Somerset Park as he replaced Alex Stewart as Aid United's manager. And redemption was immediate as her broth were dispatched 3-0 in his first game back. Things went well, but barely three months into his second spell with Aid United, he left to manage Motherwell. Away from football, Ali took the path of many ex-footballers and was in charge of the Tudor Inn in Kilmarnock. After Motherwell, Ali managed the Lanarkshire rivals Airdrieonians for one season before returning for a third and final time to Air United. At this time, Air were in the second division and looking for a return to the first division which Ali achieved in 1988 by setting a record points tally for the Honest Men. 
Duncan Carmichael tells of Ali's swashbuckling attitude, which was well and truly back by this point. It was just like the old times, with fans yearning for Saturdays. The Daily Record offered a creative champagne to the first team to score 100 competitive goals that season. On beating Stranraer 3-1 at Somerset Park on the 9th of April 1988, the prize was won by Air United. In typical fashion, Ali McLeod offered to match the prize if the total could be taken to 150. There were four games left. A real sliding doors moment occurred in 1988, as local businessman David Murray was looking to buy Air United. Some, including Ali McLeod, were unconvinced that he would be the correct choice of owner, with Ali going so far as to say that he would leave Air United if Murray's takeover was successful. The board of directors and shareholders, possibly convinced by their manager's words, rejected Murray's takeover bid and Ali stayed. The shareholders voted against the takeover 56-4. to 4. Who knows what would have happened if Murray had bought the club, but as it was, Murray went on to buy Rangers instead. Ali resigned from Ayr in December 1990 on being told his contract would not be renewed at the end of the season and took one final job in management with Queen of the South, where he appeared in a reserve match as a player at the age of 61 and even scored a penalty. In 1992, Ali retired and enjoyed his Saturdays going along to watch Air United at Somerset Park. As time went on, his image had improved greatly from the Argentina debacle. He was fondly remembered for his wins and the high points that had come from his first spell at Ayr, his cup win at Aberdeen and the early part of his Scotland tenure. In 2003, Ali was presented with a crystal decanter by the SFA at Hampden Park in honour of his services to the national team and the Tartan Army. Unfortunately, he was in the grip of Alzheimer's disease by this point and could not remember much of his days managing Scotland, but would happily reel off stories about his playing days at Blackburn Rovers. Ali McLeod passed away on the 1st of February 2004 in Ayr after a lengthy battle with Alzheimer's. In 2015, he was posthumously inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame alongside Bobby Brown, Morris Malpass, Professor Stuart Hillis and George Graham. A skillful player in his day, Ali made the transition from playing football to managing seem effortless, and despite his League Cup and home international championship wins, many in air would argue that his greatest achievement of all was taking Air United from their lowest ever ebb to being the top team in Ayrshire and holding their own against some of Scotland's top sides. Wherever the Tartan Army go on their travels, there's every chance that you'll still hear them singing fondly of being Ali's army, in tribute to the man who made them dream that they could conquer any foe on their way to World Cup glory. At the start of this episode, we asked you who scored the vital goal for Scotland against Wales in 1985 that took Scotland to the 1986 World Cup in Mexico. The answer is David Cooper. With Wales 1-0 up through a Mark Hughes strike, Scotland won a penalty in the 81st minute and upstepped the man known as Moody Blue to slot the ball past big Neville Southall. 
This sent Scotland into a playoff with Australia, which they won to make it to Mexico. Sadly, the match at Ninian Park is overshadowed by the death of Jock Steen just after the final whistle, and the mood of celebration in Scotland quickly turned into one of mourning. Alex Ferguson took charge of Scotland on a temporary basis until the World Cup was over, being replaced by Andy Roxburgh after this. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Scottish Football Citizen. Subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And join us again next week when we'll be looking back at more of the best of Scottish football from the past. If you'd like an extra football fix in your inbox every Tuesday, you can subscribe to Football Memories Scotland's weekly newsletter, The Football Special and receive an email full of excellent pictures and stories from days gone by. To find out more, email lindsay at lindsay.hamilton at scottishfootballmuseum.org.uk The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland, in association with Alzheimer Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McBrearty. Additional material from BBC Sports Scotland, The Glasgow Times, The Glasgow Herald, The Guardian, The Irish Times, Paisley Tartan Army, Scotland 1978, A Love Story by BBC Scotland, The Scottish Football Book No. 22 by Hugh Taylor, Fergie Rises, How Britain's Greatest Football Manager Was Made at Aberdeen by Michael Grant and Air United Football Club 100 Greats by Duncan Carmichael. Special thanks to Duncan Carmichael for his assistance in the making of this episode.